0: Well, good morning. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here, and just, just good to be with you. glad that you can be with us today. Um, as the lights come back up, I want to tell you about uh, a lady about a 100 years ago who was uh, recruiting kids to come to her Sunday school in Chicago. A guy by the name of uh, D.L. Moody, let me show you this picture. I went to the school that he founded, was where I went to Bible college in Chicago, Illinois, Moody Bible Institute. And uh, in that day, school took place six days a week. Our kids, aren't you glad? Five days now. And uh, on Sundays though, was the day off. And so a lot of kids, especially kids who were down and out and a little more destitute, were just left out roaming the streets of Chicago. And so uh, this guy, Dwight Lyman Moody, uh, Dwight saw this after becoming a Christian himself. And he began, uh, recruiting these kids. He thought, well, they don't have anything better to do. I'm going to start a Sunday school, school on Sunday. And I'm going to teach them about Jesus. I'm going to teach them about the Lord. And well, uh, this lady was uh, faithful and she's uh, inviting people to a Sunday school she helped serve at. And uh, this little boy was going past and uh, maybe I don't know how little he was, but he was, he was heading past on his way to, to Moody's Sunday school. And it was a long journey for him. And so uh, she said, you know, hey, why do you always, why do you go so far to go to Sunday school? You know, we got a lot of others that are just as close, just as good, that are pretty good, a lot closer for you. Why don't you, why do you go so far? And he said, oh, yeah, I, I know, I'm sure they're good, and, but, but they're just not so good for me. And, uh, you know, she said, well, well why, why not? He said, well, because over there, they really know how to love on a person they really know, or literally what he said was, they really know how to love a fellow, was how he would have said it in those days. Isn't it true that uh, in terms of the gospel and of ministry and of evangelism, that, that love is really what opens the door for people to receive the truth? Because that truth is all about love. So if love doesn't accompany it, it just rings hollow, doesn't it? Well, we've been in our series called PEARL, and uh, do you you remember the acronym? You can even cheat if you want to. That's okay. But what was P in PEARL? Pray for them. Now, I'm really curious how many of you are doing this from memory and how many are just reading over my shoulder. Uh, What was the E? After you pray for somebody, by them is uh, somebody you know, who you love, who's, who's far from God. God's not far from them but they're far from understanding the truth of of who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross for them. So you pray for them because you love them. Then what do you do? Eat, eat with them, just spend time with them. But why not do it over a meal? That's what Jesus did. Everybody's got to eat. Everybody likes to eat. And it's just a natural opportunity to to spend time with people. And then as you're doing that, what are you going to do? You're going to ask questions, aren't you? Remember, somebody, if, if they're far from the Lord and you want to introduce them to Jesus, they're, they're not your project, they're your friend. So treat them like your friend. And be a friend to them, ask them about them, get to know them. And over time, those questions will go deeper and then eventually they're going to start going, hey, I got some questions for you. Tell me about you. And then the R, what's the R? Reveal, yeah, reveal, reveal your story. Reveal God's story and reveal your own story. And so we've made our our way through this five part uh, strategy for personal evangelism. And we're down to the last one today the L. And L is to love them, to love them tangibly, to love them tangibly. You know, I should just say this out at the beginning again, as I have this whole series. If if you're someone who hasn't yet trusted Jesus, and you're maybe a little uh, farther from God, you need to know God's not far from you. He loves you, he's near to you, and you get to kinda listen in as we talk about uh, how we go about sharing what we've come to know and experience uh, with those who need to know it. And uh, so you just get to kinda listen in today if that's you and kind of see what, what all this is about. And I, I, I'm convinced that even at the end of this, uh, you'll see Jesus' love for you. So uh, this series, we've been studying the Apostle Paul and his strategy for evangelism, and which was Jesus' strategy, this, which we kind of boiled down into Pearl. Uh, but maybe just a quick review of, of what we've been looking at specifically in Paul's life. Paul was a guy <coughs> who... Uh, was a very religious man, and then he met Jesus. Uh, Jesus blinded him, knocked him off his horse on his way to Damascus, and, and Paul's life was forever changed. In fact, his name had been Saul, and he changed it to Paul. And, and Paul's life was so radically changed with this encounter with Jesus that he committed the rest of his life to telling others about it, to planning churches, to doing evangelism, And uh, as he goes about this, we we read that that he committed himself to to planting churches. And the New Testament book of Acts, in in the New Testament in your Bible, is, is an account of the spread of the early church. And specifically, there's three different journeys we read about that Paul went on, planting churches throughout Asia Minor and Southern Europe. And we're in Acts chapter 17 where Paul is in the middle of his second journey that's recorded there. And specifically, he's in the city of Athens, Greece. In Athens, Greece. Now, Athens, <coughs> you need to know, would have been a world-class city in that day. Uh, and while Paul, when, when Paul gets there, he starts exploring the city like, like we would if we went to the city. And he's exploring and he's checking everything out and he notices that uh, there's all of these idols everywhere. And false gods that they're worshiping and that they're giving their lives to. And uh, his spirit, we read, is provoked within him. Like something happens inside, he just has compassion. It just, it hurts for him to see this happening. And so that compassion leads to action in Paul's life. And so uh, Paul would have prayed for them, for those people. And then uh, he began spending time with them. He went to a place called the Agora, the marketplace, and we read in Acts chapter 17 that Paul went there day after day, every day, he went to the marketplace, because that's where people were, and he hung out with them. And uh, in the marketplace, there would have been a place to buy food that either you could take home and prepare or just eat it there yourself that was already prepared. And so we see Paul praying, we see his spirit provoked, we see him eating with them, and, and he asked questions. And I'm sure some over time as he developed these relationships, um, some of those questions were pretty surface level and then eventually they get deeper and eventually Paul uh, reveals God's story and his story of how Jesus has changed him. Uh, Paul had spent so much time with them that they actually invited him uh, to speak at this prestigious place called Mars Hill before this council called the Eropagus. And this was a council of socialites and thinkers of the day. And uh, Paul gets there, and we read uh, the last couple Sundays just parts of his message to them, and and he reveals God's story. And uh, we're going to see the end of his revelation of God's story today. And then, um, well, let's just maybe pick it up there, shall we? Uh, In Acts chapter 17, Paul has been talking about God to them, and he says, uh, during his speech at the Europagus, he says, the times of ignorance, God overlooked. Now, this is uh, maybe a clue, if you haven't been with us, to kind of clue you in on the story here. When Paul got to Athens, one of the things he saw when he saw all these idols, was he saw an altar that literally on it said, to an unknown God. It had an inscription on it. And that really just provoked him. And he's like, that's, that's my end. That's, I can tell them who that unknown God is. And so he, he starts off actually this speech saying, you have this altar to an unknown God that, that you don't know. That's what ignorance is, it's just not knowing. And so Paul, towards the end of his, uh, his speech, he says the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. After telling them about God who had created everything in his story, uh, see, uh, now he commands everyone everywhere to repent. Well. Do you, know, you know what repent means? Repent is just kind of a, a, a term maybe we don't use in our everyday language, a churchy word, I might say. But it simply means to turn, to change your mind. To turn from my sin, away from it. To turn from my way of life, away from it. But not just to turn away, it's actually turning to someone. It's turning from those things to Jesus. That's biblical Repentance. And so uh, Paul says he commands everybody to to repent, to turn to Jesus because he's fixed the day. It's circled in red on the calendar when he will judge the world in righteousness. In other words, he'll do it rightly. By a man whom he has appointed. Who do you suppose that is? It's Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus, the God-man. God who put on flesh and became a man. That's the man Paul's referring to here. He's he's gonna judge the world in righteousness perfectly. And of this, he's given assurance. In other words, God has proven that this is really gonna happen, how? Well, he's he's given assurance to all by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. That was the sign that this is really gonna happen. He died and God raised him back to new life. Now, at this point, there start to be some uh, varying reactions to Paul's message. Which you can imagine, can't you? I mean, if you were telling somebody this story and you had never heard it before, they had never heard it before. They might be, "What are you talking about? Raise him from the dead?" Well, uh, here's what you should know: as you share the good news, you can expect various reactions. You can expect various reactions to the good news. See, evangelism uh, literally, if you broke it down, it means good newsism. Good newsism. It's subscribing to good news, telling people the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us. And so as you share that good news, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you can expect, and many of you, if you've done this and you've experienced various reactions, haven't you? Well, Paul did as well. Let's look at uh, some of the reactions that Paul had after he started talking about the resurrection. Uh, See, so he said, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, Some of them mocked, but, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others were with them. In, In these short verses, we see, we see three different reactions to, to Paul preaching the good news, talking about resurrection, that this God has the power to get you out of the ground. And there's three uh, pretty intense reactions to him. Ones we receive as well. First off, you've probably seen it already, some will mock. Did you notice that? Uh, Look again at the first part of verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Or your translation, uh, I know the NIV says some sneered. You know, they kind of gave him, hmm, I don't know about this, Paul. (laughs) Really? He's the resurrection? Are you nuts? You think there's more to life than this? Like, how how ignorant are you? We see those reactions today, don't we? Um, These people were just completely rejecting Paul and his message. Now, think about this. Paul is like, uh, I would rank him as probably the greatest evangelist to ever live. No offense to D.L. Moody or... Billy Graham or anybody else. But I think Paul was probably the best. And Paul had presented the gospel, the greatest evangelist ever, had presented it and he got mocked. You know what that tells me? When I present it a lot less eloquently than Paul, guess what's gonna probably happen to me and has happened? I'm gonna be mocked. I'm gonna be sneered at. Have you you had that happen to you? where you share the truth and and people mock it. They laugh at it, they reject your message and and sometimes they even reject you. It's just ridiculousness to them. Um, You know, we can love somebody so much and care so much about them and be so careful in how we share the truth with them and then at the end of the day still just kind of be pushed back. How's that feel? It's awful, isn't it? I mean, it just, it just puts a stitch in your gut. I mean, yeah, it stinks. They respond saying, I don't, I don't know, I don't buy it. That's just kind of a joke to me, Josh. Um, I, re- I really don't want anything to do with that. But, you know, that's the life of an evangelist. That was the life of Paul. Um, that kind of thing happens when we share the truth. Sometimes people will mock us. Or they'll sneer at us. You know, I, I see this at times, not only on a personal level, but also as a pastor, where uh, especially it seems to happen a lot at, at weddings or funerals and I'll be sharing the gospel and um, just kind of have people, you can just read it on their face. They just, they look at you like that, give you the side eye, you know, just not pleased with what, what you're putting down. And that happens. So we count ourselves in good company with the Apostle Paul when that happens, and that's okay. But there's another reaction, thankfully, I'm grateful for, is that some uh, will be curious. Some won't mock, they'll, they'll be curious. They'll, look at the rest of verse 32. When, he heard of the resurrection, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, "Hmm, I'd kinda like to hear more about this. We'll hear, we'll hear you again on this. Could, could you tell me more? You know, this group, they didn't totally buy in, but they didn't shut Paul down either, did they? They were curious. They weren't convinced, but they were interested to hear more and to understand better. The, the journey wasn't over for them. They wanted to know more. And sometimes uh, we'll find people who, and you'll, you'll find this, they're not ready to cross that line of faith yet, but they're curious. They, they wanna know more, they're like, "Oh, I'd be willing to talk some more. Could you tell me more about that? not that encouraging when that happens? You know, I've I've experienced this as well. Have you? You know, uh, even recently at, at a at a funeral, I mentioned the funeral earlier. You know, sometimes I get the side eye. Well, then uh, I'll give you another account where someone, a woman, came up to me and she just said, "Josh, I, I kind of like to know more." Wasn't ready to cross the line yet. It was curious. Something struck a chord about the truth. And so it was a couple months later, we began to get together and and talk and just study God's word and see what it says about the truth. Some are curious. Some mock, but others are curious. And then we see a third reaction as we keep going in verse 33. So Paul went out from their midst and, but check this out, but some men joined him. Uh, Some translations, some there, literally means just a few. So some will say, a few men joined him and believed. Among whom also were Dionysius, the Oropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. See, there's a third group, a few, who believe. Who believe. Whom the Spirit grips their heart, and they they turn in faith. Um, They followed Paul. As he left, they, they, they kept talking with him, wanting more. They, they grew in their faith and they believed. They, they turned, they repented and trusted the Lord Jesus as their savior. And friend, friends, that's a third response we can often have when we reveal God's story and our story is belief. I don't know about you, but I long for that response from people, right? I pray for that response in people. And when it happens, it's worth celebrating. It's a great, great thing. When that happens, you know I mentioned earlier, uh, just a bit ago, somebody who had come up to me after a funeral and just curious and wanting to know more. Well, the cool thing is, is that over time, after time, she put her faith in Jesus and she trusted him, and now she and her family are all part of our church, and isn't that great? Some believe. And by God's grace, if you've believed, you've had that experience. You, you've, you're some of the few. And that's good news. See, Paul reached out to many, but only a few responded by trusting Jesus. So just, I bring this up, so don't be surprised when maybe only a few respond to you and trust, trust him. But you know what you need to know? Even if only a few respond, even if only a few are curious, and the rest all mock, God will keep working. He will. He will keep working. He's still at work. He didn't quit. It's just the beginning. You know, just know if you've reached out to a number of people with the truth and only a few respond, it's, it's normal. It's what happened to Paul. But don't be discouraged because God will keep working. And in fact, you never know the few who respond what God might do. You know, when when Luke mentions a few, look at this with me, Uh, he mentions a couple by name, Luke being the author of Acts, telling Paul's story. Uh, He mentions a couple of them by name. Uh, You know, a few joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the and then a woman named Damaris. Well, we should talk about these two people, because it might be an encouragement to you. Let's start with Dionysius. Dionysius was a prestigious person in the city of Athens, and we know that because of what it says about him. He was an Eropagite. What do you suppose that means? Do you remember where Paul had been giving his speech? It was on a place called Mars Hill, a big rock, sometimes in uh, the council that met there, and sometimes the whole place was referred to as the Eropagus. Well, while that was a place, it was also the council was really the key part there. And Dionysius was an Eropaga. He was part of that council. He was a member of that group, of that club. He's, he's, a, he's a deep thinker. He's a socialite of that day in Athens. He's a leader. He's a prominent person. And so for a guy like Dionysius to convert to Christianity, man, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. For that to happen. And so even while only a few responded to Paul, one of them was a key leader in the city of Athens. And by the way, do you want to know what else is kind of cool? Uh, Another reason his name is well known to us is because uh, church history tells us, if you go back and read some of the history of the early church, you'll find out that Dionysius was the first pastor of the first church that was planted in Athens. He became the pastor of that church all because Paul just spent time with people, asking questions, getting to know them, revealing his story when he had the opportunity. God was still working, even though only a few. Um, And and we're gonna learn more here about that early church here in a moment, but let's move on to the second person Luke mentions, and that's this woman named Damaris. Now, uh, Damaris, we don't know as much about. There's nothing else written about her other than right here. We just know her name and that she was a woman. That's all we know. But if you think with me for a second, why would Luke mention someone's name like this? Well, probably because in that day she would have been known. They would have known who she was. And so when people are reading the account of what happened in Athens and, and Paul's missionary journey there, they read about Dionysius. Oh yeah, I remember, I remember Pastor Dion, I know him. And, uh, and then uh, Damaris, oh, wow, Damaris was one of them? That's amazing, I know Damaris. She's been a great influence in our church, a great leader, a great woman of God. They would have clearly known who these people were, right? And so uh, even though the converts were few, a couple of them were incredibly, incredibly prominent. You know, uh, you never know. The person you reveal your story to you never know what God might do. And it might be next week, it might be a couple decades from now. But it might trace all the way back to that story to you simply reaching out to them in love and sharing your story. You never know. You know, I mentioned uh, we know from church history about Dionysius being the first pastor there. Well, we also know from church history that the church in Athens grew pretty quickly. Uh, In fact, it became a hub of Christianity and and it grew like crazy. There was revival there and and God worked powerfully. And so even from these small beginnings where where only some joined him, some incredible things happened over the years that followed. Now I share that because uh, don't be discouraged then. You know, there's a story, this reminds me of a story in the Old Testament where God's people had been in exile And uh, they were brought back after 70 years. And as they start to come back, one of the things they do is they begin rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And evidently it's a slow process because we read about it in uh, Ezra and Nehemiah and Zechariah and and people were discouraged. And in Zechariah, we read specifically that the foundation had been laid. And while the work had been going slow, Zechariah speaks a word of encouragement to them from the Lord and he says this, uh, hey, don't despise these small beginnings. It may only be a foundation now, right? But the Lord delights to see the work begin. See, if there's only a small response, don't, don't be discouraged. God delights to see the work begin. And guess what that means? If it's just beginning, logically, help me, I'm kind of slow. It's got a long ways to go before it's over, doesn't it? It's just the beginning. You never know what God's spirit might do by your faithfulness. He just wants you to begin the work, to cultivate friendships, to pray for people, to eat with them, to ask questions, reveal your story and his story when you get the opportunity and then see what happens. God's work is often slow. Have you noticed that? And sometimes that's just because we're all a bunch of knuckleheads. And thankfully he's patient with us. But his work is often a slow, long process. So don't despise the small beginnings. Well, uh, from these small beginnings in Acts chapter 17, I just mentioned the church grew like crazy. How did that happen? Like what connected the dots there between that small beginning and this incredible hub of Christianity and many people coming to know the Lord? Well, I would submit to you, one, God was still working, right? But while God will keep working, you know what uh, our response needs to be then too? Is to keep loving. Keep loving. Friend, when you reveal the good news to someone, you can expect all kinds of reactions. But God is still working. And your role is to keep loving. Which brings us to the L of reveal today, of love. Love. Keep loving uh, you know one thing we know about the apostle Paul is he valued love and after you've revealed your story what's next well it's, it's to love that's all it's love love people love them tangibly no matter their response your, your goal wasn't to just like win them and oh hey I won one no, it was to befriend them and to love them, and that doesn't change even if they don't trust Jesus, they're still your friend. Keep loving them, you never know what might happen. Uh, in his first letter to the church in Corinth, we read about Paul's expression of love. In, in fact, uh, Corinth is the city he goes to right after he leaves Athens. He goes to the city of Corinth and he, he, he writes about the fact that love is essential. You know, we had a wedding here yesterday and uh, one of the things that was read during that wedding was what Paul wrote to that church in Corinth. Here's what he tells them. He's like, if, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but if I didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's kind of like this. While well, I was preaching this morning... There wasn't an ounce of love in anything I'm saying. Here's what it would sound like to you. Let me tell you, and I want to explain it just it just... Did you hear anything I said? <laughs> See, if if I speak with incredible eloquence, but there's no love, that's what it's like, isn't it? In one ear, out the other. And nobody cares. Paul goes on, he said, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans, I possessed all knowledge and I had such faith that I could move mountains like the faith Jesus talked about, but I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. And uh, even if I just gave everything to the poor and did acts of love, uh, you know, even uh, sacrifice to my body. I, I, I could boast about it, I guess, but if I didn't love others, I really wouldn't have gained anything, is what he says. Do you see love's essential? Paul said love's essential. So you, you, might, you might go through this whole process. You might eat with people. You might uh, ask them questions, really get to know them, reveal your story, have all those opportunities. But, but friend... If it's not bathed in intangible love, it's just a noisy gong. Both are essential. Both you speaking the truth of who Jesus is and loving them like Jesus loves us. One without the other is incomplete. If all I do is acts of love but I never open my mouth about the truth, then How are they going to believe? If all I do is speak the truth, but I never love, who cares? And I'm just a Bible thumper and a noisy gong. Right? Love's essential. A message is ineffective without love. It's kind of like the old uh, saying, you know, nobody, nobody cares how much you know until what? They know how much you care. And that's kind of become a little bit of a cheesy saying in our culture because it's used a lot, but it's true. If you want to break through to somebody, love them in tangible ways. Uh, a Christian philosopher, Blaise Pascal, once said this. He just said, kind of in the same way, he said, The heart has its reasons, which reason does not know. He went on to say, We know the truth not only by reason, but also by the heart. He's kind of saying that the love that speaks to the heart often is more effective than the reason that speaks to the mind. That the way to someone's soul is through love and through their heart. And so it's essential when winning people to Jesus. Well, Paul talked about it being essential. Jesus demonstrated what that was like. Jesus demonstrated the essential nature of love. And in fact, he spoke about it in Uh, John chapter 13, he says this, he goes, "Uh, so now I'm I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Now, the people who would have sat under Jesus' teaching likely knew a lot of the Old Testament. They would have likely, many of them, been Jews. And so first they hear Jesus, I'm going to give you a new command." They're like, oh, something new. And he goes, love one another. They're like, come on. That's been around for thousands of years. I thought you said this was new. Here's the new part. Keep reading. He he said, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. See, the part that's new isn't that we're to love one another. Everybody knows we're to love each other. You see that all over in our culture, right? But the new part is loving like Jesus loves. To love like he does. Like I've loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Well, how did Jesus love? Well, I I would uh, note two ways, two descriptions of his love. One, that it's unconditional. Uh, By the way, this blew everybody away about Jesus, that his love was unconditional. You know, uh, remember, he didn't love people because they were worthy of being loved. He certainly doesn't love me because I'm worthy of being loved. I'm incredibly unworthy of his love. He didn't love people because they won him over. Uh, He didn't, Jesus said to be ready to love everybody, even your enemy. Jesus said, love your enemy, everyone. And sure, then Jesus came loving those who were far from God, tax collectors and prostitutes and everyone else. Other people that others might have said, "I, I wouldn't even go near them. Jesus drew near and loved them. And so friends, if, if I'm going to love unconditionally like Jesus loves, then um, I, don't get to, I don't get the privilege of first asking, yeah, but do I like them? Yeah, but are they worthy of my love? I'm, I'm glad Jesus didn't ask that about me, wondering if I was worthy of his love before he, he gave it to me. Also, his love was sacrificial. He loved so much that he was willing to give up everything. His, his very life, to, to die to himself, to die on the cross, it was the ultimate expression of his love. And then he did it in smaller ways, though, too, right? Picking up the towel and washing the feet of the, the disciples as they came in off of dirty and dusty roads. Just tangible acts of kindness. Jesus did it all. And we're called to love like He loved. Now, in, in saying that, I, I'm not saying that there aren't times where you know we can get taken advantage of, or we don't need to have some healthy boundaries sometimes with people. But I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about like the everyday, normal everyday, where we just go, eh, I don't feel like it today. That's what I'm getting at, and we all have those days, don't we? But we're to love like Jesus loves, unconditionally and sacrificially. And friend. Um, This kind of love, it comes from the heart of God. And what it does is it gives people a taste of Jesus' kingdom. It gives them a taste. They can taste and see that the Lord is good by our love for people. They get an expression of it before they ever get to experience it for themselves and become part of it. You know, by the way, uh, when I mentioned experiencing God's heart in that way, that's, that's where we're heading next in, in our time together on Sunday mornings is, is a series looking at the heart of Jesus and his, his love for us. Do you know, um, I don't know how you would describe yourself, you know, if you had the opportunity uh, to put up a billboard all about me, you know, and give a couple lines that described who you are at a heart level. But do you know, Jesus only does that... Uh, really one time in the gospels, we learn a lot about who he is, but he he declares it personally one time in in the book of Matthew. Uh, And he says, uh, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And if uh, you're heavy and weary laden, burdened with your sin, all of you, he says, come to me because my burden's easy. My burden, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. His heart toward us, even in our sin, is love. Because you know, I know that is Romans 5, 8, right? Like even when I was a sinner, Jesus did what? He drew near to me and he died on the cross for me, even when I was his enemy. And so we're gonna study that heart together over the weeks ahead. And uh, I, I think it'll be, be powerful Uh, But you know, all all that to say, it's one thing to know the gospel, to know the truth, to even know how to respond to it, but it's another thing to experience it and want to respond to it and be part of it. And that's what loving people does is it gives them a reason to want to. So uh, as we wrap up, I just want to talk about uh, ways we can love people in tangible ways. You know, uh, our mission statement as a church family is, uh, that we are sent, we're sent to love people and to invite them to follow Jesus with us. This kind of follows that whole pearl acronym, doesn't it? We're, we're sent, just like Jesus was sent. And, and uh, the people around us whom we know, we're to, we're to pray for them and, and and spend time with them and ask questions, get to know them, to, to love them, right? And then... Uh, Invite them, reveal God's story and our story and invite them to follow Jesus with us. That's what we're called to do, friends. And we're sent to love people no matter who they are, where they're from, what they've done, what's been done to them, their age, their intellect, the color of their skin, none of it matters. We're sent to love them. And so what are some tangible ways you can love? We mentioned Jesus, you know, He loved in big sacrificial ways, the ultimate sacrifice, dying for us. No love greater, right, than someone would lay down their life for a friend. But he also did it in little ways, just washing feet. What are some small, tangible ways you can love? Well, I don't know if you noticed, it's a little chillier out this morning. Fall is finally here. I'm kind of excited about it. But with that comes leaves falling, and maybe you've got some neighbors with piles and piles of leaves and no way to care for them all themselves. You can go help them rake their leaves. Uh, Maybe when the snow flies, you've got a snowblower. But you noticed uh, your neighbor across the street is out there just uh, busting their back, shoveling snow. Could you afford a couple more gallons of gas to go help them? You know, I bet you could. Maybe you could give to somebody who's in need. You, you could serve different places in our community, you know, like at Harvest Coffee or at the Rose Garden in Syracuse or, or the food bank in Milford. Uh, you know, this uh, Friday at five o'clock, they're having a haystack fundraiser for the food bank in Milford you could be part of. If you're interested, many of our life groups have gone and served there. Our student ministries have as well. Milfordfoodbank.org. Uh, on Halloween, you know, it's the one day a year Whatever your views are on, on Halloween, I'm not here to, uh, to change your mind on any of those things, but, but one thing that's hard to argue with is that it's the, one, it's the one day every year that a bunch of people in my neighborhood come and knock on my door. That doesn't happen very often. So how can I be an expression of, of Christ's love to them on that day? Um, well, maybe you give out the best candy Except to my son Charlie, he doesn't need any more candy, because if you give him if you give him a lot of sugar, he's going to come over and hang out at your house for a while. No, I'm just kidding. But hey, you know one of the things you could do, um, maybe with with that candy you give him, we got a bunch of these tiny little "You Are Loved" stickers that has the church website on it, and they're they're hanging out. They're just scattered all over out in the commons. Maybe you wondered who who'd spilled all the stickers. I did. You, you can grab a handful, take them, and maybe you just stick them in the bag with the candy bar. Maybe they'll see that down the road, stick it on something, and at the right time, God will work, and they'd see that. And do you, do you know how often it happens that people drive by our facility and they see that giant sign that says, you are loved, and they just pull in and either we hear stories of people pulling in the parking lot just crying and praying, realizing God's love for them. We've had people just come in the door to be prayed for recognizing that sign that God loves them? Because that's what it is. You, they're loved by Jesus, but they also need to know they're loved by us. So how could you do that? Here's some other ways. Um, uh, I mentioned uh, the Rose Garden. There's gonna be an opportunity to help serve at a Thanksgiving meal for the ladies there. Um, and then let me give you one more, and then I'll, I'll wrap up this morning. Um, but I, I, I kind of primed the pump for this now. It's not gonna happen until next May or June but I'm doing this because it's going to take a lot of planning and we're going to need some of your help, is uh, we're going to take a Sunday next spring and maybe it'll become an annual thing where uh, we're, we're not having church that day. Well, at least we're not meeting like we normally would. We're, we're going to go out into the community and serve. We're still going to have kids ministry here for some younger kids so there's some childcare available and uh, there'll be some programming going on for them here at the facility. And if somebody would show up, you know, visiting that day, we can tell them what's going on. But then we're gonna go out for about three hours and serve that morning in the community, especially primarily Milford and Syracuse because they're close by. And then we're gonna come back afterwards and uh, we're just gonna have a party. We're gonna have a bunch of food, just have fun together, big picnic. And it's gonna be a Sunday either in late May or in early June of just loving our community tangibly, moving from the seats to the streets. Right? And so uh, the reason I bring that up now, though, even though that's a long ways off, we're going to need your help with knowing where are some places we can go serve. Do you have a neighbor who needs some help? Do you you know of somebody in your community or a place where we can go love on some people tangibly in Jesus' name? Let us know over the next couple weeks and months. And uh, you'll hear more about that uh, sometime after the new year, but just kind of priming the pump now. But you know, nothing's stopping you from doing all those things today. And uh, as you go out and love people in Jesus' name, it'll be curious to see what God might do through your faithfulness. Let me pray. We'll call it a morning.